today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcanta. But once you see everything in creation this way, it's not discouraging, it's glorious. Because this is the reality of this verse. You have nothing, but Christ has given you what is not yours. See, the master entrusts stuff to the servants when he doesn't have to, right? He gives us freely our lives, our money, our time, our gifts. Does the the master of the universe have to give us any of these things if he truly owns them? He doesn't have to. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Ask yourself, what have I been entrusted with? What gifts has God given me? When you have those answers, the next obvious question is, how can I use what is God's that he's entrusted to me to further his kingdom? Living with this question constantly at the forefront of your mind brings blessing. Let's join Pastor Ricky for part two of his message entitled, Wake Up Now. So you may be thinking, well, listen, I have a nice house, but I worked hard at my job, right? I, I took a nice vacation, but, but I paid for that, right? I got myself through high school and college, and I got this job now. Well, let's, let's review, okay? In Genesis, how much of the world did God make? The answer is everything, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a big phrase in the Hebrew that means Everything, right? In the beginning, there was no things, and God made everything, okay? Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. God made all of it, and how much of humanity did God make? All of it. He created Adam. He formed him from the dust of the ground. He breathed into him the breath of life, meaning that Adam was made by God. And then beyond him, every stalk of wheat, every blade of grass, every cow, every fish, every stream, every mountain, every deposit of oil, right? Every piece of gold, every natural resource, all of it is from the Lord. He owns all of it. Now, second question, how much of this does he sustain? All of it, right? The reason that earth does not wobble just slightly outside of its orbit and gets scorched and we all die is that God sustains the forces of gravity, right? The reason that earth doesn't wobble the other way and get too cold and we freeze and die is he sustains it, right? The reason that the oceans and volcanoes and everything in our world is kept in check is that God sustains it. So here's, here's the picture. He's the manager He is the master of all creation. We are the managers. Before I uh, was a pastor, I did some conferencing work. So we would put on conferences. And when we would pack up all of the conferencing stuff to take it from one place to the conference location, uh, we had to put something on almost everything. Now, we we had two organizations. We had the conference and we had this church that kind of sponsored it. And so everything before we left was labeled, right? Property of this church or property of this ministry. 
So we would take it and we would saran wrap the whole thing in these weird, huge things. And then we'd ship them in trucks to the conference location, unwrap it, use the stuff. But here's what was important. We needed to put the things back on the right truck so they went to the right place because the stuff wasn't ours. In fact, everything that our conference used to put on the conference was stuff that we borrowed from other churches or ministries, right? So we didn't have like resources. Everything was a property of this ministry. This church had to go back. Well, imagine, imagine you were able to turn everything in the universe upside down just a bit to see the ownership label, right? Imagine everything, if you could pick your house up just a little bit and peek underneath, there's a property of the creator and sustainer of the universe. You put it back down. Your car has a label. Maybe you didn't notice. It's not Nissan's. It's not yours. Property of the creator and sustainer of the universe. Your kids have little labels on them. They're hard to catch, but if you can catch one, turn them upside down, you see it right there. Make an inventory of your life, friends. How much of it did you get with no help from the Lord? Take your house, right? Well, you worked to get that house, right? Well, how did you work? Well, you worked because you have a brain that continued to fire its synapses and a heart that continued to pump blood into your lungs, which continued to expand in and out so that you could work and do that job. Did God then give you a family that showed you how to work and teachers that educated you about how to work? Did God give you a planet to build your house on and then grow some trees so that you would have wood so you could put it together and then give you technology to build the whole thing? Look under everything, friends. There is a tiny label that says property of master of the universe, right? But once you see everything in creation this way, it's not discouraging, it's Glorious, because this is the reality of this verse. You have nothing, but Christ has given you what is not yours. See, the master entrusts stuff to the servants when he doesn't have to, right? He gives us freely our lives, our money, our time, our gifts. Does the the master of the universe have to give us any of these things if he truly owns them? He doesn't have to. When this master left town, did he have to entrust his property to his servants? He could say, you know, you guys are crazy. There's no way I'm trusting you with anything. You're just going to keep buffing the floors. No, he, he gave them up. He entrusted these things to them, even though they weren't theirs. The beginning of investing eternally starts with an acknowledgement that we do not own the stuff of our lives. If we enter this discussion believing that we have like some things that God's given us and some things that we worked for, how much, how much is on the table when it comes to serving the Lord? Well, just the stuff that God gave us because we, we earn these things, right? right I, this is my stuff and this is, so I'll use God's stuff for his purposes. But the Lord entrusts everything to us. We are given what is not ours and it's amazing. But second, we invest what is not ours. We're given what is not ours, and then we invest what is not ours. Verse 16 says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So 
the master entrusts his stuff, his business, his property, his money to these managers. Now, the expectation is that they would continue his work, right? Expand the business, find more good property, continue to be profitable while he is gone. So the, the, they are to use the master's resources for the master's work. These managers don't have a meeting and say, all right, that guy's gone, so what do you guys want to do with this stuff? Right? Or, you know what? This whole enterprise the master has, it's lame. I say we get into pets.com. That's where this is. I'm feeling this. Let's divert all of our resources into this stupid website to feed cats and dogs, right? They don't get that ability, right? Because the, the master and the, the way that he's, he's set out his enterprise, his business, his priorities, they receive these things. They're not, it's not theirs to come up with what, whatever they want to do. There's a parable right before this in Matthew 24. It's a similar parable with the master and servants. And the master entrusts some stuff to the servant. And the servant waits for the master to leave and then goes and uses all the resources for himself and beats up all the servants and w- drinks through all the booze. And, and the master comes back and he's not happy, right? So these people don't do this. But we should keep in mind, it's not theirs to do whatever they want with. They invest his stuff for his purposes. In a similar way, Jesus has given his resources for his work. So what is that work? What does Jesus entrust his stuff to us to do? Well, God creates humanity to bring him glory and worship him, right? He creates us to image him, to reflect him, and to worship him in every area of life. Whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. That's what we to do. But he gives us a mission for how to do that, okay? It's not just, well, you just decide how you want to glorify me. No, he, he hands us Matthew chapter 28, where he gives us his commission, his mission, which is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So, Here's what we're to do. We're to use what God has given us to be disciples of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. We ourselves are to imitate Jesus in every area of our lives, from holiness to hospitality, from parenting to priorities, from sexuality to suffering. All of it is meant to be used for this great mission to be disciples of Jesus Christ, to look like him, to reflect him more and more and more. But we are also to use those resources not to just be disciples, but to make disciples, to mature and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ with the time, energy, resources, money that God has given us. And we are to do this not just individually, but together. Jesus hands his commission, not just to one disciple here, one disciple there, kind of whispers it to him individually. No, he brings them together and commissions them as a group. So in essence, he creates this church, gives the church this mission, and sends them out to start more churches that mature and multiply more disciples, that send missionaries and and people and pastors to other cities where they start churches that mature and multiply disciples, that send those people out to keep doing it, keep doing it until the nations are reached. I mean, I was thinking about this this week. Imagine... Imagine being there when Jesus gives the Great Commission, right? 
I mean, you know he's about to go. He's told you several times he's about to go. He's going to give you something. Just as the master entrusts his servants with his work, Jesus entrusts his disciples with this work. I mean, imagine being there, Jesus' hand on your shoulder and saying, look, I'm going away, but here's what I'm entrusting to you. Go, make disciples until I return. I will be with you. See, the reason this is so radical for us is I think we approach our lives, we approach every new year thinking, what do I want to do this year, right? Isn't that, I mean, that's the way I approach my year. What do I want to do and where do I want to go? What kind of things do I want to accomplish? And so I begin to formulate my list of priorities. But imagine just December 31st, as you're about to enter that year, Jesus puts his hand on your shoulder and says, go make disciples. Suddenly it looks a little full, right? Looks like, I, okay, I got, I got some stuff to do. And that then rearranges your priorities. What do I want to go? What do I want to do? Who do I want to see? What do I want to spend my money on? What kind of stuff do I want to give my extra spare time to? What kind of gifts do I want to develop? Right? Everything changes when we realize he's given us what is not ours to invest for his purposes. Now notice the phrase that the first disciple went at once. Now, remember that the master did not say when he would return. He just said, I'm going away. So this servant, knowing maybe he's going to be gone for a day. He's gone for a day. I better do something today, right? He's coming back tomorrow. I better do something today. If he's coming back in three days, I better do something for these two days, right? I don't know when he's returning. So he went at once. Listen, there is no convenient season to be about the master's work. The older I get, the more I realize this, I think. Like, and when you're a teenager, you're always thinking, all right, when I get out of high school, I'm going to really start my life, right? Then I'm going to, then I'm going to get serious about church or whatever. Then you get into college and it's just a constant barrage of this and that and this and that. Or maybe you're starting a career and you're trying to please your boss. You're trying to figure out how to manage your money. Maybe you rent your first apartment and then maybe you meet somebody and you think, well, maybe I get married. And then all of a sudden your first, I mean, the year prior to your marriage is just planning the wedding. And then you get married and then you recover for the wedding for like a year. Like, oh my gosh, that was crazy. And then at some point you start having kids and then you think, okay, another year to get ready to have kids. Uh, and then you have the kids, ah, right? It's, your life is a constant preparing for and recovering from major life events. And then all of a sudden your kids, you know, get a little bit older and you realize, oh my gosh, I can't just tell them yes or no. I have to like talk with them about drugs or what, you know, like, oh my gosh. Like my 12 year old's asking, dad, what's a drug? Like, is that like Tylenol? Like, oh, these are different drugs. And you have all these, so you have to invest and it's inconvenient and then you're shuttling them from sports practice to sports practice. You're trying to figure out your mortgage. You're thinking, I could use a little bit more space. You're thinking about maybe moving, maybe staying. Your job's offering different career opportunities. You want to take this path or this path. And then all of a sudden, retirement is coming up. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't save enough. So you're running, work, 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 work. <laughs> and, then, and then finally you hit retirement and you go, <gasps> right? Apparently, from what I hear, when you retire, there are still things to do, right? (laughs) There are many things to do. You have kids, you have grandchildren. All of a sudden, people are like, hey, you have some free time. Why don't you do this? Why don't you help with this, right? And all of a sudden, then you're with Jesus. Here's here's the point. (laughs) Just being real here, guys. The... (laughs) The point is this, there is not like a convenient life season for being about the master's work. Unless you enter your year thinking, what does my master want me to do with his stuff? You'll enter your year batted around by whatever priorities life throws at you. 
And this servant, it says, he went at once. It wasn't convenient. I don't know. I don't know if it was convenient. The text doesn't give us any clue as to whether this was a convenient life season for him to be about the master's work. He just went at once. Now notice something else. The master does not entrust everyone with the same amount, but he entrusts each servant with something. Maybe you think, look, I don't have a lot. Maybe in terms of time, maybe in terms of resources, maybe just in terms of gifts, you think I don't have a lot to offer. That's okay. Because the point is that God has entrusted you with something. Do you have a life? Are you breathing? Then you've been entrusted with something. And we are to invest, this text points us to, that we are to invest to be productive. So fruitfulness matters. Now, there are other passages where it's clear that not everyone is outwardly fruitful, right? They've got lots of big houses and fancy cars and stuff. It doesn't mean that the following Jesus leads to that stuff. Or even that ministry, that thousands of people get saved. Now, what we get a picture of in Scripture is that we are to be fruitful, okay? We are to be fruitful. And fruitful is measured in many ways. But we should pursue fruitfulness. Here's where I want to I push a little bit. It's not just that we're to ask, what do I want to do for Jesus? What do I have a passion for? Now, that's not a bad question, but I think in American Christianity, we ask that question a lot. What do I want to do? What do I have a passion for? Maybe the question, according to this parable, is where can you be productive, right? For some reason, um, I have these two arms, and they keep asking me that, hey, we're going to set up and tear down the church. We have this event. Can you come help us? And I don't feel super gifted with my arms, right? But you can be productive. You can use those two arms, set up and tear down, set up and tear down, right? Now, it's not as though I'm saying that you shouldn't pursue what you're passionate about or you shouldn't ask God what passions he's given you so that you could do it. But I think sometimes we go overboard on the, am I being fulfilled in ministry and in life instead of asking where can I actually be productive for ministry? And if you're waiting for the perfect opportunity to invest your gifts for God, it's never going to come. Instead, aim at being productive every day, every dollar, every gift, every talent. Use it for the master's purposes. Now, very briefly, there's another path here. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but it's definitely in the text. One servant is not productive at all. Now, he's unproductive in a different way from the servant in Matthew 24. The servant in Matthew 24 just blatantly takes all the stuff, goes to Vegas, beats everybody up, and becomes a despot, right? This servant doesn't do that. Now, I think it, we know instinctively we probably shouldn't do that, right? We shouldn't take what God's given us and like go crazy and just drink through all the money that he's given us and, and, and go and buy super weird, expensive, like gold-plated iPhones. Like there's, there's like a check in our hearts. Like we probably shouldn't do that, you know? It's kind of obvious. This servant is disobedient in a much more subtle and I would say much more common way, Okay. What he does is he takes what the master has given him and he does nothing. He doesn't spend it. He doesn't lose it. Instead, he does nothing. Now, there's an obvious way to be unproductive where you're like, you know, maybe you're looking around and you're like, man, that guy, ooh, just spending everything on himself. There's another way where it doesn't look super bad or super good. You, you know, like, well, it doesn't seem like they're really serving, but I... I don't know. And yet in this parable, 
he's not treated as though, ah, man, you wasted an opportunity. Oh, well. He's, he's treated as though, look, the master gave him this to be productive. He did not. That's disobedience. So here's the point. If you are not actively, actively investing what God has given you for God's purposes, you are not in neutral. You're going backwards, okay? God does not sigh and say, oh, well. He says, you wasted it. And yet, he provides an opportunity for us to be fruitful and productive. Third, we receive rewards beyond what we deserve. So we've seen that God entrusts us with some things. He calls us to invest those things. And when we do, we receive rewards beyond what we deserve. Verse 20 says this, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the same continues with the two talents. And so the master returns and takes, I love the, the, the phrase where he says, he takes account, right? I can't help but be a little nervous when I think about that, Right? <laughs> He returns and he takes account. It's not just like, hey, how's everybody doing? He just kind of goes on his own. He's like, no, all right, I'm back. Let's sit down. I want the year-end financials from the last three businesses you guys have each started. I want you to bring them to me. We're going to go over them. And you're thinking, okay. Like, whew. And notice he really did come back. Okay, just throwing it out there, he really did. It's not like a joke. He didn't just go out and say, I'm going to come back. Maybe not. And he never comes back. He comes back, okay? Bible says he comes back, Okay. He will return and ask for an account. And we learn some things about that accounting. Wouldn't you guys like to know about that accounting that we're going to have with the Lord? We learn some things right here about that. You may want to pay attention. First, the master judged on what he gave, not on the ultimate result. So the servant who made five talents and the servant who made two talents got the same commendation. Did you catch that? He says... Well done. Enter in the joy of your master, right? In this parable, both of those guys are treated, in essence, the same. Because it wasn't as though, well, this one made five and this one made two. So you get a half commendation for two, right? He says, no, no, no. I gave you five. You made five. Praise God. You made, I gave you two. You made two. Great. Well done. What matters to the Lord is that we are faithful with what he has given us. Second, the master is eager to commend his servant. He's not quibbling with their return. The point was that they were faithful. And that is insane because we have been given everything by God and then we simply join in what God is doing in the world. And as we work, scripture says, it is really him who causes us to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in essence, he gives us the raw materials. He helps us work and we simply show him what we've done. That We've really done not really anything. We hand it to him and he says, well done, you get rewarded. So we take what isn't ours, we invest it with his help, and then we get rewards beyond what we deserve. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. What would change in your life if you really acted like you would live forever? So much of our lives are taken up with temporal cares, with pursuing temporal things. 
But the Bible calls us to look to eternity. Everything we do in our lives will echo into eternity. As Christians, we're called to not just live now, but to live in light of forever. You've been listening to Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantad of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. The theme music here on Better News Radio was provided by Sovereign Grace Music. Please check them out, sovereigngracemusic.org. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series entitled Live Forever. That's next time on Better News Radio.